Hello there, welcome to Adventures in Dowsing, podcast number seven from the British Society of Dowsers. I'm Graham Gardner. In this episode, we're going on a BSD field trip in the company of Earth Mysteries researcher Paul Devereaux. Now, Paul has been a huge influence on the Earth Mysteries scene since the 1970s. He was editor of the Lay Hunters Journal for 20 years, a position which led him to deconstruct many of the more esoteric New Age theories about ley lines in favour of a more practical, structured approach that looked at these landscape alignments in a more anthropological and cultural context, and led to his continuing research into spirit paths and corpse roads in archaic landscape settings. Paul also founded the Dragon Project, which brought many different research tools to bear on scientifically investigating earth energies and other related phenomena at Thoralwright Stones. We'll hear more about that in our next episode, but this time around, Paul is taking us on a walk along a fine example of a medieval English corpse road in Warwickshire. But first... Here is the news from the BSD. And thanks to Ian Pegler for our new news jingle there. Well, we are just about to announce details of our 2009 conference, Dowsing's Hidden Gems. And this year I'm pleased to say that we return to the Royal Agricultural College in Cirencester for the event. Speakers include Sig Lonergan, an honorary life vice president of the society, who will be presenting Sig's hypothesis number two, looking at refraction in uh, chamber tombs and other megalithic sites. We have Dr. Anne Miller, who's telling us how to get your ideas adopted and change the world, best-selling historical novelist Elizabeth Chadwick and Akashic consultant Alison King are going to explain how they use the Akashic records for historical research, Australian-born composer and pianist John Levine will demonstrate how music can help us in meditation and in our dowsing, And Dowser and lay hunter Peter Knight will be talking about the Wessex Astrum and will lead us on a field trip to Avebury. We also have dowsing workshops from Professor John Flavell, Adrian Inkleton-Webber, Faye Palmer, Roy Riggs and David Furlong. So it promises to be a packed weekend and as last year's event sold out very quickly, I would recommend booking early. Full details, of course, will be on the website very, very soon. Non-members are very welcome to attend conference, and although there is a small surcharge for doing this, it will actually be the same as the cost of your first year's membership of the Society. So why not take the opportunity to join us at the same time? And now to our field trip with Paul Devereaux. Now, unfortunately, it was rather windy on this trip, and the recording setup I use for these podcasts doesn't cope with the wind terribly well, so the sound quality in parts of the podcast is less than optimal, shall we say. Um, I've cleaned it up as best I can, and the noisy sections are quite short, so please just persevere with it, and I hope they don't detract from your enjoyment too much. Uh, today we're on a field trip with the British Society of Dowsers and we're in the company of distinguished earth mysteries researcher Paul Devereux. And we're at uh, St George's Church in Lower Brails and Paul's just about to show us a spirit path. The is, uh, people use them for recreational purposes 
but they don't know what they are. So their history is getting lost and physically they're becoming lost. So in fact, we can go there. We know it, it was a, a, a corpseway that led up to this great church, which was a very important church in its day. Uh, but you see the path is no longer there, but we will pick up the actual path just beyond those trees. So we're walking away from the church now, across the fields, towards some trees. I don't see much uh, evidence of a split path so far. This is a fascinating area of country, South Warwick. It's almost completely forgotten. Uh, we even know the names of the last witches in the villages. The big witchcraft area. It's a fascinating area. Of course, just up the way a few miles of Edge Hill, right the Great Battle. Quite dramatic. Yeah, yes, yep. Yeah. 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 Then think of Fabian of the Yard, there's a mm -hmm. ritual murder here in, what was it, 1912? Yeah. Yeah. Guy yeah. <laughs> found with a pitchfork well, stuck through him. <laughs> ah, that was here. I remember oh, reading yeah. about that case. He was old yeah. King Barley. Yeah. There's also an earlier role, but uh, more of that and none, as they say. Um, okay, as I was saying, these these uh, these uh, corpseway paths uh, were physical, but they were also virtual pathways, if you like. Um, and so various features were sought out along their route and you had uh, running water was good because uh, if you could go over a bridge or over stepping, you know the great Lichway on Dartmoor which is probably the best known of these things but there are a lot of other uh, Lichways on Dartmoor and many of them go over stepping stones over steam. This was once uh, uh, just a wooden plank this bridge and I'm pretty sure before that it was just a stepping stone if you take uh, the dead over running water, the spirits can't get back across running water, so it was believed. And there were various other liminal places, bridges, same sort of thing, um, styles, which we'll talk about in a bit, crossroads. Uh, all these are places where ritual activity took place anyway, where spirits congregated. It, the idea of a Celtic knotwork pattern uh, is to bind spirits. And in, say, uh, in parts of Germany, you'll find these features outside people's doors um, or stuck in the, in the beams of the ceilings, like little things that look like antennae. Um, and along some of these roads, stakes would be stuck with things that look a bit like uh, Native American dream catchers in them. This was to stop spirits moving. The whole tradition, the whole industry, if you like, of this sort of thing. You controlled the flow of spirits through the land. They had certain routes, you knew them, and you tried to control them. There was a whole spirit technology that has gone. How long did it last for? How long has it been? Hard question. You would say probably from about 1100 through to 1800, say. Uh, but in various parts, I think it still exists in certain parts, certainly South Warwickshire here. And I pretty sure it existed from at least the second century. And ultimately, I think you can take the prototype of the death road back to the Stone Age, back to the Neolithic, 
where uh, there are these things called cursuses, which are urban avenues that link, uh, they run for miles sometimes, that link places of the dead where people were buried or interned in some way. And uh, so I think it goes back to that, and as I'll explain in a little while, I think it probably goes back to mid-Asia when hum humanity first of all congregated when it came out of Africa. Because you're finding this pattern even in the Americas. So it was like this pattern was inherent at the point of diaspora. And it's come up at different cultures, different places and so on. Okay, going over the bridge. Now beyond the bridge you'll see there's the actual pathway. Uh, some of which is authentic medieval and late medieval and early modern. Some of those uh, the flagstones are actually broken up gravestones, you'll notice, see bits of writing. Then beyond are the steps, the so-called 99 steps, and there aren't 99, but you know, there's a few of them. Mainly reconstructed, but some are old. And I'll meet you at the top there where we'll talk about other things. Once we get across the running water. But has been noticing these ridge and furrows. These are known as ridge and furrow fields, <laughs> and they date from um, Anglo-Saxon times, really. And uh, so everybody had their own strip or two of land. Probably the last time we had real democracy in Britain, <laughs> and uh, everybody had their own own patch, so they could always sustain themselves. Uh, so it just so happens in South Warwickshire here, these type of uh, field patterns are extremely well preserved, whereas mainly they've been ploughed out. Uh, but here, if you go up in an aircraft and look down when the sun is low, some traumatic patterns, big sweeping patterns of these ridge and furrow things. Now, we're on this death road, you just come up the steps. Why we were researching this, because this didn't just happen, it took some years to un unravel. Um, we, we also found there was a form of medieval divination that nobody knew about previously and it involved the ghost seers or the precursors. They're called precursors in Holland. And uh, basically what it was, well there was a tradition called the church porch watch where the local ghost seer would go at certain times of the year, certain nights sit in the church porch or in the churchyard or whatever and look for the soon-to-be-dead, the wraiths of the living, coming in through the, uh, along the corpseway path and into the church. Uh, and they could see spectrally this stuff and so they could foretell when somebody was going to die um, in the parish. Uh, by the same token, there was a tradition called, uh, associated with divination at crossroads, um, and crossroads, you know, is where they would bury suicides, where they cut up the hangman's noose and hang people and so forth. So this was the outlander area. It was a liminal space. And there was a big Norse tradition, very well recorded in Iceland, curiously, where the seer, shaman, whatever you want to call them, would go on a certain night, midnight, with an animal skin and would look at would lie down and look at the shiny edge of a ritual axe and go into trance. Now one of the roads of the crossroads had to go straight to a church in a churchyard and then in trance the uh, shaman would see, the seer would see the spirits coming up to the crossroads where they could be interrogated and that's where the necromantic divination would take place. 
So everybody's known about the church porch watch and the crossroads divination, which is based on an older tradition called Utasita, sitting out. Uh, they used to sit out on burial mounds and so forth, again for necromantic divination. What none of us knew till we uncovered this stuff was that it's all related to the churchway paths, to these ideas of spirit roads. Mm -hmm. And in Holland we made the breakthrough because there is a uh, Voilupa, uh, precursors and there's actually a tradition, a divinatory tradition of the precursor, the people who could see the dead moving along and sometimes it was usually women would live next to the, to the churchway path so they could see the spectral cortages of the soon-to-be dead coming by. Uh, it wasn't always, I mean it could be a man as well, but often women so these were the precursors and it was a whole tradition and it linked the death, the crossroads divination, the church divination and style divination which we'll talk about in a minute. And to go through along the path. So we don't need any spirits coming our way. Spirit gate. <laughs> it's really for your dog. Isn't dog it? spirit. <laughs> <laughs> So part of this whole divinatory complex, which we now know is linked to the death road, was style divination. And there were certain well-known styles where you'd go on certain dates, certain nights, and the right sort of person would sit out, go into a bit of a trance, and the spirits would pass and pause at the style. And they would uh, be interrogated, so you'd have your uh, necromantic divination. And in, in Cornwall, it's particularly good because uh, styles there are granite and a lot of them haven't moved forever and uh, we actually know some of the styles that we use for divination in my book Spirit Roads we photograph one at Legend uh, and nobody knew this at all that we put together from fragments of information we can reconstruct it uh, you were talking about changelings earlier and we can actually locate a particular style where the fairies left their left the changeling stole the real child and left the fairy thing took its place and so uh, it's all related the idea of fairies spirits the dead the whole is all one thing and the basic idea is that they had special routes through the landscape sort of route my hat's going to take in a minute um, and it was uh, very real the spirits may have been invisible but the geography they used was real Anyway, we'll move on because there's another... Can I ask you something, Paul? Yeah, possibly. This, this hedge here looks like Hawthorne to me. Yeah. And I know it's a modern one, but, but is it significant it was Hawthorne? Because I think Hawthorne was regarded as, as a yes, it was. section. Well, it was, and of course highly associated with the invisible fairy tusk Oh! Yes. If I gave you another talk yesterday, it would have been about the fairy paths of Ireland, uh, where we, uh, it was the case of the Latoon Fairy Bunch, uh, over the last few years, when there's a new road coming, we're going to dig up this old 200 year old horse tree. Uh, but the, the folklorist, Eddie Lenehan, had tape recorded a 90 year old gent, 14 years earlier, who pointed out that he was well known in the locality that the fairies rested underneath this Hawthorne mm -hmm. thing. And he was able to prove the point that it was a heritage feature. So in the end they had to bend the road 
go round it when we were there there's a big heavy fence around the hawthorn tree oh. great big jcb behind mm. it <laughs> i have a very telling photograph of that. <laughs> unfortunately after it was protected and everybody was happy somebody came along in the night and hacked it down <laughs> but not completely the sap's still rising and this this may it, it blossomed again there's a tradition in herbalism that the smell of the flowers of the hawthorn tree smells of carrion smells of, of dead Oh really? Yeah. I, it doesn't to me, but there is a tradition of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. well, very there's bad all sorts of associations there, we can see. So I can't answer your question, I can't answer the lady's question directly, because I don't know, but I would suspect there is a, a deep connection at all with it. It's the archaeology of the human mind. Just continuing on beyond this sale, there's uh, one of the hazards of outdoor dozing. There's a lovely herd of cows who have been very curious and friendly and come over to see what we're doing. So. But uh, thankfully, this is uh, moved out of the way. path continues to another stile. Well, I'm noticing the path is pretty much due west here. Is that typical of, of these paths? No. They come in in all angles, but there is something significant about the path that I'll mention one day, just to prove it was here. They carried the corpse, it's quite a long way. Oh, 14 miles from Dartmoor, yeah. Hell of a job. And did they have them in a coffin? No, they usually carried, are usually carried in a canvas bag, uh, and perhaps on a beer, the beer being the cart. Yeah. Uh, on the Lichway in Dartmoor, when they got to the river, the River Tavy, there's a, there's a wood called Coffin Wood. And there was a team of specialists came rushing out to the cortege, and they give us your body, and they put it in a, uh, a coffin, sealed it up, because they could get it across the roaring waters of the Tavy, tricky operation. And then the ordinary people, you know, the family would just follow. And their job was just to do that. Coffin wood, and then the body was put back in a uh, canvas bag, or the canvas bag with the body was taken out, and then he went up a hollow road known as Corpse Way, literally known as Corpse Way. And it's still there. So there's a whole geography of the dead still in the landscape, but it's disappearing very fast now. The path, nothing particularly exciting about it, except that it's there. And the reason it's there, in this rare case, in this fairly well-preserved landscape, is that farmers hated walking funerals going across their land. Because wherever the walking funeral went, was supposed to be kept, not ploughed. And so they'd have a path across, and as happened in this field, they didn't plough it, it's always been maintained. But this is an ancient section of the original churchway path. We will see something else when we get a little further on, just before we get on the bus, and uh, I'll ask you to stop there. There's a, the, the road path forks here, and we take the right-hand fork. You can recognise because the bus is at the end of it. Uh, I should just say there are other features on these paths, uh, like special resting places. Uh, the, ch the death road that came into uh, Grasmere, for example, in the latest, um, and where Wordsworth walked an awful lot, where he saw the dancing daffodils and all the rest, he, uh, there's a huge rock and there's a, there's a seat built onto it and this was the place where they'd rest a coffin on the rock and sit and do their prayers, sing their hymns and a little ritual activity and the coffin bearers would have a rest and then off they go again. But this, you see, went from very primitive 
in the 11th century through to more stuff we will recognize as a, as, a, as a funeral party now up until let's say about 1800. So uh, there are certain features that, that you can still recognize and in a few places still exist. One of the most remarkable ones is a, it's a death road in, in also in the Lake District where it comes, the road comes to a cliff and they, they carved out the rocks out of the cliff face, about 50 feet tall, carved it out, known as the fairy steps. See this link between the dead and the fairies? But it's so narrow that you have to go sideways to get up. And so they have to bring the body up by, by hauling it up the face of, of the cliff face. So they went through all sorts of trials and tribulations that were beyond normal practical purposes. Just to say. <laughs> Probably an old pub. It wouldn't have left them otherwise. Here we are at the end of the pub. And we're going to talk about where did they go. Actually, their, their direction is that way. He wouldn't go in that direction. But he was going to the church. And uh, where did they come from is now a bit of a moot point because we have. They used to come from old small holdings and little farms and so on into the mother church so the whole network of roads would come in 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 the lands end district some of these paths are still marked from with old celtic crosses little celtic crosses like that and they mark the paths which in in lands end are known as coffin lines coffin lines very interesting okay this one goes past or comes past that hill you see over there and it's a mountain bailey it's a Norman Motton Bailey, because from the summit you can see all the way over to the Welsh hills on a clear day. It's amazing. Uh, so it was a good military outpost, but as it happens it was built on an earlier Anglo-Saxon burial mound. So uh, this thing went by probably, you know, maybe even in Anglo-Saxon times, we don't know. How far can you follow this path if you went this way? Well, it sort of peters out. But I talked uh, about eight years, nine years ago to an old gentleman well into his 80s who had lived in Brails all his life. And he'd started walking these old paths, he told me, when he was about 17. And he reckons this path goes all the way to the prehistoric earthwork hill of Breeden Hill down near Cheltenham, Gloucester, about 25 miles away. And I said, well, I don't believe that, Alf. I don't think that could you can't trace it. Uh, he said, well, you can trace fragments. And in his day, there were more fragments left. But even in his day, he'd come to a field where the path stopped. And he'd have to pick it up further up. And so he would ask, remember, he's 17, so we're going back a long while, 60 or so years. And he talked to somebody who perhaps 80 or 90 then. And they said, ah, well, there used to be a path here. And I think it's just possible, very much speculative this, but I think it's just possible that this, what became this church, church way path, this section of it, may have been part of a much older route that went, uh, came perhaps from Breeden Hill in, in Iron Age times through to various other features. So we may be on a very old ritual way here, older than medieval. And as I said, I think the whole concept, anyway, of these death roads certainly goes back to the Neolithic in this country, and perhaps much older. Now, good question was asked. It's, it's not straight. Now, it's fairly straight, but it's not dead straight. What's very interesting is the virtual path, spirit roads, the Geisterbecker, the fairy paths, and so on, the ones that are not 
visible but have a geographical reality are straight. They are conceived of as being straight. The physical paths in Holland, the Dogwegen, are physically straight. But in other places, dear old, merry old England, uh, they won't wander about a bit because there are contingencies on the physical structure. But the idea, if you like, is straightness. But we can't prove that. But we can say, uh, we can prove that the virtual paths were conceived of as being straight way. Something about straightness and spirit movement. In the same way that one of the uses of the labyrinth was to trap spirits. So the Baltic Sea fisherman would go round his stone labyrinth on the shore of the Baltic before he got on his boat to leave the trolls and spirits might be hanging onto him behind and he'd get on a spirit-free boat, you see. So knots, curvilinear complexes, that was the idea of the spirit traps and the hoops on the, on the thing. It's the idea of, 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 of witch, witch traps as well, tangles of threads in bottles and so on. Uh, the idea of, of hindering spirit movement, hence crossroads also, uh, was, was, was complexity. Straightness allowed the spirits to move. That's also true in feng shui, the idea of arrows in the landscape. The, the spirits moved along straight features and they had to be blocked. So the feng shui geomancers developed all sorts of techniques to block that motion. Bowls, water, literally spirit baffles, walls and so on. Or they'd make something crooked or they put up a line of trees to block the motion of the spirit. So this idea of straight <coughs> movement through the land, spirit movement. Convoluted features hinder or even stop and block spirit movement. It is Eurasian wide. And we pick up the same thing in the Americas. The reason I think it came out of Africa originally, because we know from the genetic pattern now that's developing, uh, the people came out of Africa, milled about in mid-Asia for a while, and then there was a huge diaspora in all directions, down to Australasia, across to the Americas and so forth, and probably across to the Americas on the east side as well. And we find, and I've been looking at many of these features from Canada right through to Quintana Roo, uh, there are these straight ideas, ritual straight roads, very strong. The Nazca lines, you know, von Daniken screwed that one of the idea of spacecraft landing strips and everything. Uh, but really, it's to do with, with the spirits. If you want to understand the Nazca lines, make sure you see the film, if you haven't already, about the Kogi Indians. Did anyone see the Kogi Indians, the heart of the world? Yeah. Who has? Two, three, it's what? The rest of you can get it. It's DVD, BBC. Alan Herrera was the director, and it's a study of, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you the calm of the coach as we go towards Roland. <laughs> now, as you heard Paul say at the end there, we're just off to the Rollwright Stones, and that will feature in our next podcast. That's it for today. Adventures in Dowsing comes from the British Society of Dowsers in Malvern, England. For more details about dowsing and the Society's activities, please see our website at britishdowsers.org. You can also register and leave messages on our forum at britishdowsers.org forum, where there is a special podcast section for all your questions relating to the show, or you can email us directly on podcast at britishdowsers.org. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show, so please do drop us a line. Thanks to Hilary Brooks, who does our theme music, and Ian Pegler, who's generously donated our new news jingle. That's it for me. Be sure to join us next time for more Adventures in Dowsing.